We're looking at the dangers that face the church. <clears throat> We're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> and uh, we have, I think, several of the different topics are answers to the questions and to the communication that he had with the Corinthian church. And definitely chapter 7 is uh, an answer to the questions regarding the different facets of difficulties that the people were facing after they got saved uh, and were, of course, part of a very wicked culture. I mentioned last week that there were really four different uh, ways you could be married, common law marriage, slave marriage. Uh, there was uh, selling someone to be a bride, and then there was what we would consider more as the normal marriage. And uh, so as they were navigating all of that, they were asking the Apostle Paul, what is the biblical perspective that we should have? And so we looked uh, last week at the first seven verses and the importance of staying pure and the importance of the husband and wife having the right kind of relationship. <clears throat> and that, uh, and in this, he says, well, I'm not saying that everyone has to be married, uh, but you've got to have the gift of God to remain single. And so let's move on to verse 8 now as we look at this. A writer tells about Amy Carmichael. We're all very familiar with her. Uh, she was born in Northern Ireland and educated uh, in a uh, Christian boarding school. She had a heart for missions and spent 15 months in Japan, but she, it just didn't work out for her there. So she... Uh, traveled finally back to England and then to India where she found God's will for her life. She started working with girls whom she rescued from slavery and prostitution, and she raised them in, in her place there. Her life touched thousands of people. Her books have, been, have blessed millions, and of course we all know the name Amy Carmichael today. But she was just your normal young lady. According to this writer, she was attractive and radiant, and she very much wanted to be married. But her great work would have been impossible, the writer says, as a married woman. And God gave her Psalm 34, 22 as a special promise. Now, Amy's struggle with this issue was, of course, deeply personal, and one that she was unable to actually communicate with anyone until 40 years later. When at last she said this to one of her children, one of the girls that she had worked with, who was facing a similar dilemma. And here's what she said. On this day, many years ago, I went away alone to a cave in the mountain called Arama. I had feelings of fear about the future. That is why I went there to be alone with God. The devil kept on whispering, it's all right now, but what about afterwards? You're going to be very lonely. And he painted pictures of loneliness. I can see them still. And I turned to my God in a kind of desperation and said, Lord, what can I do? How can I go on to the end? And he said, none of them that trust in me shall be desolate. Psalm 34, 22. And she said, that word has been with me through my entire life. So God gifted her. But I read that story because it shows you how deeply personal and how difficult it is. Uh, she was just a normal young lady that wanted to get married. And yet, in this case, God called her 
to a very difficult but very, very important work, and she grew mightily and has blessed all of us. And so God gave her grace through his word and called her uh, to be single. And so we have some directions here after he mentions that in verse 7. We read in verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if, if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now again, those verses have not had the, really the best nuances to them. Uh, and what he's simply trying to say is that for single Christians, they should not feel constrained to get married. Uh, it was the pressure of that culture. For a woman in particular, if you weren't married, you were really not a person. And so you can imagine for new Christians the difficulty because they were not to marry unbelievers, uh, but it was a, a, a very pressured situation that they were in. And of course, uh, young ladies who got saved and had unsaved Roman Greek parents, I mean, you can realize, realize the difficulties that were there. Uh, so, but he's saying that it is, it is good. In other words, it's okay. It is, it is something that God calls honorable uh, to, uh, for you to abide even as I. I mean, God had allowed him. He was most likely a widower, as I mentioned last week. And God had called him then to, because of the ministry, the intense ministry that he was in, uh, constantly itinerant, uh, under great threat and persecution, uh, it was best for him not to marry. And, uh, and he uh, makes it clear that uh, this can be very good. For 50 years, Agnes Fraser and her husband, Emmett, had morning Bible reading and prayer at the breakfast table. It was a precious time. On the day she, he died, she went to bed thinking she could never again start the day with that kind of devotional time at the table. But the next morning... She bravely sat at the kitchen table and opened her Bible to the spot where she and her husband had quit their reading 24 hours before. It was a sudden death. The verse that stared up at her was, for thy maker is thy husband. <laughs> and she smiled and said, thank you, Lord. And uh, she stayed a widow, and, uh, and God met the need. And then... There are those that, sh that should marry. Um, they aren't given that gift. In other words, there's that deep desire. If they cannot contain, in other words, they really don't have the gifting and the leadership to stay single, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn, to be constantly uh, consumed with this desire to be married. And so if they are not called to singleness, they obviously need to marry the right one. And we'll at the end of the chapter look at the direction of a Christian father in the matter of his single daughter. And uh, some very uh, clear direction is given there. Uh, but uh, if there isn't that calling, then as I mentioned before, singleness for the sake of selfish purposes is not what is talked about here. And in America today... That is really somewhat the norm in the 20s and early 30s. And uh, so uh, I believe every a young adult needs to pray for God's will to be done and to really walk with God, to know that God is leading, uh, to do that which is best, and um, to understand 
that if they're going to be single, it needs to be because God is calling them to do it or God hasn't provided the opportunity at that point for a young lady and they just uh, they trust the Lord, but that it shouldn't be for selfish purposes to have a career, uh, to save money, et cetera, et cetera, or for guys to have it made to be at home and not have to pay anything for rent, you know. Well, I'm not kidding. I mean, there's a lot of that going on these days. And so, uh, so if you are not gifted, then it's good for you to get married. It's better for you to do that. Now, there's one category I want to mention here before I go on. There is a category that God gives clear direction on of younger women that they need to get married, um, if at all possible, under the leadership of the Lord. That's 1 Timothy 5.14. I will therefore that the younger uh, women marry. Speaking of younger widows, marry. Bear children, guide the house, Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And it goes on to, to express the temptation that is uh, involved in young widows' lives. And so young widows, though they may want to be loyal to their husband, it's understandable they were one flesh. Uh, sacred oneness is something very hard to be able to process. Still, they need to be realize that God gives some direction that at some point a young widow does need to understand the need to be married. Older widows um, are to be, uh, do not necessarily have to be married, and they can, of course, be taken care of by their family, and if they don't have family, the church itself is, has the obligation, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, to care for older widows that are, are in need. So, Bible's very practical, isn't it? And so... Um, that's the directions to single Christians. Now, I'll take a little longer on this one. Guidelines for married Christians. But unto the married, I command, verse 10, yet not I, but the Lord, let not uh, the uh, husband, I'm sorry, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Wow, that's certainly not culturally uh, the way it is today. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Now let me say, if I can get to the quote here, uh, regarding that where he, it's stated that uh, it's not I, uh, but, uh, not I but the Lord, that statement there is um, clearly given by the Lord in the Gospels. This is exactly what he said in Mark, in Matthew, and in Luke. And I'll read a couple of those verses here. Then when you come down uh, to verse 12, it says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. In this case, um, this is Paul still giving an inspired authoritative command, but the Lord Jesus himself did not give that command. This is now the revelation from God through the Apostle Paul. In fact, Morris says to the married, Paul gives an authoritative command. He stresses that this is not a personal directive. It is the Lord who commands. All right. So let's uh, look at this matter of guidelines for married uh, believers. <clears throat> First of all, we need to realize that marriage, as we so often say, is not man's institution. 
It was created by God. As we often read from Genesis 2.23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one or one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so right there before sin comes into the world, God's perfect creation. By the way, this matter of male and female is a creator thing. And it's built into us. It's in our DNA. You cannot change it. It is God's creation. And marriage is God's way. I mean, it is the perfect plan for the human race. So that's why when we come to marriage, folks, we can't waffle on this. This is, this is foundational. I mean, this is actually more foundational than the church, though so the church is vitally important. This is part of the creation of mankind, uh, God making us in our image. And we see that very much stressed. In fact, I'm, we'll have it up on the screen, but if you want to turn to Malachi chapter 2, I'll actually refer back in a few minutes to this passage. Let me read it, <clears throat> Malachi chapter 2, which deals with the problem that was going on in the uh, nation of Israel after they had come back from captivity and unfortunately marriage was getting destroyed again. Satan goes after marriage. If he can destroy marriage, he can destroy the culture. He can destroy a nation. And so that's what he's doing. He is going after the family in America. This has been on the docket for those who have had the humanist Marxist perspective for 150 years. It's the destruction of the family to reform and reconstruct a non-theist society. And um, we cannot cave into that. Well, let's read Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Yet you say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Very clear teaching on the permanence and purpose of marriage, and I'll get to that in a minute. Ephesians 5.32, you can see the sacredness of marriage even in this New Testament dispensation. Uh, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And this is a whole section on the roles of the husband and wife. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So everything that the Old Testament taught, the New Testament still taught in, on that. It's hard to believe, but back on October the 8th, 1912, uh, a Methodist newspaper <laughs> had a very strong article against laws that would allow for divorce. It's hard to believe that that denomination did that back then, but they did. And uh, it's very interesting, back in 1920, only 1 in 12 people got divorced. 1941 in 6, 1961 in 4, 1972, 1 in 3, and now uh, then 77, 1 and 2, and it's gone above the 50% level now. And so that's what happens when a culture loses its 
understanding of the creation of God and God's relationship with man, then marriage is going to be undermined. And as we talked about from chapter 6, the whole um, destructive aspect of immorality, how it just destroys our relationship with God and is something that is very, very major. And so the first point is Christians should stay married to other believers, period. Uh, It doesn't give a, I mean, there it is. That's what it said. Let me read it again. Verse 10, unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. The Lord Jesus said this, let the wife depart, not depart, let not the wife depart from her husband, but if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. There are all kinds of issues, by the way, behind this with all the weird uh, agreements and so forth. But he's saying marriage is still marriage and it's supposed to be permanent. I always need to stop here at this point uh, in our crowd here today. A number of you have gone through the pain of divorce. And let me just say, aren't you thankful for the grace of God? And God restores, God works, it's a blessing. And I have found that godly believers um, are very much understanding what the Bible teaches, even if they've been through it. And God can use you as mightily as anyone else. But you would admit there's pain. There are consequences. There are problems that come with it. God loves us and he doesn't want us to go through that. Uh, But I'm so thankful for the grace of God and the wonderful things that I've seen and how God has healed families and done great things. But we do need to to declare what the Bible says. This is another passage here that's very strong about the permanence of marriage. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, Luke chapter 16, verse 17. uh, And I I gave the verse before because I want you to see the impact of it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Whew, that's strong. Luke chapter 16. But it's right there that, in other words, he's saying the word of God stands. Um, same kind of thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. In fact, when the Lord talks about it in Matthew chapter 19, his disciples say unto him, Uh, In verse 10, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. I chuckle at that every time. That shows you that marriage had had already degenerated at the time of Christ uh, in the Jewish realm. There were two different schools of thought uh, with the uh, Pharisees and and, uh, they, some uh, were loosey-goosey on it, others uh, said, well, you can, but there are exceptions in which you can get divorced. And then the Lord says, uh-uh. And the disciples come desperately to him and say, you know, maybe it's better not to get married if you're stuck all your life with this. I mean, that's what they're saying. Don't mean to uh, to be uh, not reverential about the word of God there, but that's that was their shock uh, in that regard. And uh, so let's just look at Malachi chapter 2 again there. There is a permanent oneness, and um, uh, the word companion means one who is knit together to unite, closely woven together. Uh, One flesh, make one, just uh, glued together permanently. 
What was the purpose? That there might be a godly seed, God's protection of the truth. Uh, it's a way to raise a godly seed. And of course, we all know that broken homes have great injury uh, to them. He calls divorce a treachery. Uh, and, uh, and then we have that, and God, that's what it means, hates putting away, or God hates divorce. And uh, you have all the things that God hates in Scripture, and you realize you need to take very clear heed to that. Uh, the uh, graven images, burning of strange incense, the Nicolaitans, uh, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, uh, those that, uh, feet that run to mischief and a false witness. All of these things God uh, hates and uh, he hates putting away. So Malachi chapter 2 at the end of the Old Testament dispensation again shows that man's predisposition is to get away from God's teaching in regard to the matter of marriage to endeavor to try to soften it all and to um, come up with different ways to uh, to handle it, and um, and so we have to not let culture dictate what we believe, and that's what he's dealing with here. Instead, we've got to, the Lord said, that's what he says there in verse uh, 10. He said, uh, the Lord said this. This isn't me just saying it. Don't depart. And, of course, some had departed for different reasons, different situations, but he's saying don't remarry. I mean, this is, you are to stay married and endeavor to reconcile. Now, there is, uh, uh, th there is a challenge, obviously, in staying married. What's the problem with staying married? Isn't it a beautiful thing? Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, it is. Well, come on, let's go married couples. Uh, don't disillusion all the singles here. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. But what do you bring into marriage? It isn't like before the fall. What do you bring into marriage? Sin. Ugh. Self. Two becoming one, it's like uh, welding. What do you have? A bunch of sparks, you know. And uh, so it is uh, very interesting. And some of you are very different personalities. Uh, so, and, and really, uh, one of the big issues that is male-female. That in itself is a, is a challenge, you know, very interesting. Men don't think you can just naturally understand women. That's, uh, that's just not, not true. Now, you can learn how to understand a woman, and you should. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, you got that challenge. You got personality differences, background differences, all, all of those kind of things. But by God's grace, two truly can become one, a glorious unity in their their marriage. But you have to make choices. And I like the honesty. You've heard the name Isabel Kuhn and um, her husband John. Uh, she was a very popular author, missionary to China. And uh, she and her husband were extremely self-willed, if you've read any of her writings, and stubborn. And in their early ministry, they had some problems. And the one that she brings out is that um, John had a cook that he was devoted to, but she couldn't stand him because he was lazy. So tensions grew, and Isabel did what any spiritual woman did. She sulked and uh, stewed and finally exploded. And she and her husband had a blazing argument. I, I'm sorry, if, if you have idolized Isabel Kuhn, um, this is her own story. And um, 
So uh, she put her hat on, stomped out of the house, went through town, went on to the plain next to the town, just boiling with rage. She said to herself, I'm not going to live with a man who gives a lazy servant's preference over his wife. She walked for hours, enraged, not caring where she went. Well, she finally had to go back home. That's uh, normally what happens. Uh, but the situation remained tense, although John told Isabel she could dismiss the servant. When the local church leaders visiting wanted to know why the cook had been fired, John didn't back Isabel. <laughs> That's bad, fellas. That's really bad. Um, and so that was a real issue. He didn't hire anyone else, so he made her do all of that work. I mean, this isn't going well. Okay, that's, that's, that's a problem. Uh, and here we got a missionary and his wife, two missionaries. Well, other issues soon arose, and for a while, the marriage wasn't really good, painful and stressed. But thankfully, John and Isabel were committed to Jesus. And they were committed to letting God work in their lives. They were committed to personal spiritual maturity and to working and maintaining the relationship, even though it was difficult. And uh, she, she laughs about it. She said one of the things that kept her there was she admitted she had nowhere to go. She was stuck in China. But anyway, um, back in those days, but uh, truly the two of them uh, really worked at it and they developed a tremendous marriage, one that was very satisfying, fulfilling, powerful. And uh, near the end of her life, Isabel wrote these words. I feel many modern marriages are wrecked on just sharp souls as, shoals as this. A human weakness is pointed out. The correction is resented. Argument grows bitter. Young people are not ready to forgive, not willing to endure. Divorce is too quickly seized upon as the way out. But to pray God to awake the other person, to be patient until he does, this is the God's way out. And it molds the two opposite natures into one invincible whole. And so uh, it's... I'm, I, I read that because it sort of fits this verse, okay? If the wife leaves still, that you, you can't get out of the marriage. The, let me say this. I have four major points that I give whenever I do a marriage retreat normally or if I'm even doing counseling. And the first point is the permanence of marriage. Uh, the Bible teaches it just like I'm teaching it now. But what's one of the key reasons for that? If you're committed to the permanence of marriage, then you're not going to be thinking of getting out. You're going to be thinking of what God needs to do in your life and how you should fulfill your role and pray for your spouse to be able to uh, have the Lord work in their life. And it forces you to keep letting God overcome those difficulties. But if you have an escape hatch, you're in trouble. And that's one thing I really encourage couples to make very clear to each other. Divorce, separation is never, never an, op an option. And, uh, and really, that's what he's saying right, right here. And so there's much more I could say, but uh, let me just say that it's very cr critical. And that's why, young people, as you think about who you're going to marry, uh, it's not for just the first couple of years. It's not just for the here and now and the joy of it all. This is a long-term, lifetime commitment in which you go through ups and downs and the difficulties of life together. You are in the spiritual battle against Satan. Your lives um, are to become one, 
and your children and all and just everything about what is important will come um, through the decisions that you make as to who you marry. And, and so uh, this is something that you better know is God's will. When you know it's God's will, you can handle anything. I'm telling you. Uh, when you feel like, uh, when you throw a fit and want to leave, uh, you realize, no, God did this. This is God's will. This is what God is doing in, uh, in my life. And so permanence as to what he is saying here is very, very important and will keep uh, a marriage on track. So that's, that's, I'm not going to go any further on that, but that's what it's saying. Now, uh, then you have uh, Christians should stay married to unbelievers. Okay, that's, that's another question. Many, many people got saved and they're married to an unsaved spouse. If a wife is married to an unsaved husband, ooh, I mean, she wasn't much better than a slave to start off with. And uh, this is a real problem. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 deals with that issue. And so... Um, uh, let's look at verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. And again, it's not that this isn't the Lord's will. This, and it's just Paul's opinion. No, what he's saying here is that God's given me this revelation. This isn't directly a quote from the Gospels. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. All right. Then verse 13, and the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So Christians should stay married. And um, look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Doesn't mean they're saved because of that, but they are set apart for God to work and God's going to continue to, to uh, be present in that relationship. El elsewhere your children unclean, but now are they holy. In other words, God is going to work through this very difficult situation. And God is going to set apart these people to himself and God will be working and God will overcome the difficulty of this. It's very interesting, Genesis 18, verse 26. You remember Abraham uh, negotiating with uh, the Lord about going to Sodom and because God had said, we're going to show Abraham that we are going to uh, destroy Sodom. And uh, he, said, if, if I, he said, if you find 50, and he's thinking, of course, Lot, and I think he expected that Lot had had more influence. But, uh, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. In other words, if there are 50 believers uh, righteous, then I will protect that place. And I believe that's the same kind of idea here, is that if the wife is saved or the husband is saved, the other is an unbeliever, I'm going to work in that situation and uh, I'm going to be involved in that situation and for the children's sake. And any of you that are married to unbelievers, that's a great comfort, folks. 
Uh, I have seen God intervene over and over and over. Some of the best young people I've ever seen are young people that have come out of a, uh, a mar- where the one spouse got married and the other was an unbeliever. Not easy, but if that woman or man walked with God, stayed with that marriage, uh, you had the very presence of God working on behalf uh, of, the, of the faith of those people. <clears throat> so we got to remember marriage is permanent regardless. Remember back in Genesis chapter 2 that they cleave together, cling to, tightly joined together, permanently glued together. And it is a permanent bond. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or lost. Marriage is marriage. And that's how, uh, how powerful it is. And so... Um, the, uh, uh, the unbelieving or the, the believing spouse is to stay in that marriage if that person's willing to stay with them and they are to go through what they're going through. They're going to have to grow and have the right attitude. They're going to have to believe God. They're going to have to ask God to protect their children. And God will. And many times then you'll see people get saved. Sometimes it's one long, hard situation. 1 Peter 3.1 does talk about the, the lifestyle of the wife uh, will work in the heart of the husband. Um, and then we have one more here that we'll look at. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, this is just following up on the previous verses, let him depart. Our brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. Um, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? It goes back to what I said earlier. Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save his wife? In other words, stay with your unbelieving spouse. If she departs, you're stuck. I mean, you're going to have to realize that. You need to have the right kind of peace. But the point is, you want to reach. uh, You need to stay with that spouse. And so how how a Christian should handle unbeliever leaving. Romans 12, 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all uh, men. Now, I'm going to make one comment here, and without going through a long, drawn-out explanation, many people like to take this one verse and say, aha, there you can be divorced. It does not say that. You are not under bondage to run all over the Roman Empire. Uh, You're in a very difficult position. This is especially for the ladies. You're not under bondage in such cases, but God's called us to peace. And so a lot has been made of that. But remember, you have back into uh, verse 10, and unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not, but the Lord let not the wife depart from the husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. And then you go uh, to uh, verse 39 of uh, this chapter, and we'll look at that later. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. So it states it again. Now let me just say, unclear passages should always be interpreted in the light of what? Clear passages. And you actually have clear passages in this scripture. I'm just trying to give it to you in a simple way here. 
but this is not one of those proof passages that, uh, that it's all right uh, to divorce if you want to divorce. No, the whole point is stay with them. Uh, we want to see them saved. We want to, to see the, the Lord work. If, uh, and God will sanctify. He will work. It's a great promise. Uh, if they leave, well, then uh, you, you know, you're, you're doing the best you can. We'll still be at peace, uh, but uh, you're not under bondage, and uh, pray that, that there will be reconciliation, basically, is, I think, behind this. And, um, and so then it goes back in verse 16 and says, the whole point is you want to see this unsaved spouse saved, so be biblical in what you do. So the Apostle Paul, if we could understand the convoluted state of affairs, um, I find this all the time. I'm in African countries. In many of uh, the countries, they cannot uh, come up with a uh, dowry. And, uh, and so it's just gotten, gotten normal before they have the big ceremony and all. They just go ahead and have a common law marriage. And, uh, and so uh, they, they have had uh, a ceremony, but it's not completely official. What do they do? Then you really got the problem of what do you do when you got two wives? You know, that's another issue. There are just all kinds of things that pagan culture brings in as far as questions and difficulties. And, um, and so uh, this is the Apostle Paul giving very clear direction. And so really to the singles, if God's gifted you, stay single. Uh, and... Older widows, uh, stay single. Uh, God, God will bless. It's, it's good. It's okay. Uh, but uh, if uh, younger widows uh, in First Timothy, they should remarry. They should marry. Uh, and uh, and then, if you don't have that gift, if you're burdened about being married, then you ought to get married if the opportunity is there, and pray for God to do it. It's very practical. And then the married need to stay married. And you need to stay married even if the spouse is gone. And that's between believers and then between a believer and unbeliever. Uh, the same principle is there because marriage is marriage. I tell you, folks, you find all kind of arguments to try to defend a divorce because of the day and age in which we live. And it's always the best thing on any, uh, any difficult subject, just start with the Word of God and let it say what it says. And so uh, we'll, we'll actually come back to this more. I'm not going to take any more time. You've had a full afternoon, but uh, I'm going to come back to this more as we go through because we'll come back to it in the middle and end of the chapter. This chapter covers all kinds of issues uh, and questions from the people there in Corinth and uh, this is very, very helpful. But you notice here how God just firmly, through the Apostle Paul, just sanctifies marriage again. God doesn't change course. You know, paganism doesn't cause God to compromise. Right? Marriage is marriage in a pagan culture. Marriage is marriage in a Christian culture. And so I, I, what really grieves me, and I'm getting off the matter of marriage now, is that I'll hear Christians say, you know, but our culture has changed. And so we should, uh, we should loosen up on that or this. Has it changed for the good? And they'll say no. 
What are the influences that have changed it? They're all ungodly, secular, anti-God influences. Then why in the world is a changing culture a reason for a believer to get off of revealed truth? And the, question, and the answer is it's not. It is not. And that goes with what I mentioned this morning. So these are difficult issues. I have to navigate this all the time. And again, you dear folks that have been through it, oh, bless your hearts. I appreciate your embracing of truth. To me, you're heroes, and I thank God for you. Because, um, But I thank God for so many of you that, that know that this needs to be preached. Every young person needs to realize when they get married, it's till death do us part. And that's God's uh, plan that he is wanting. And yes, God is so good when we deal with things and... and, uh, and He's able to pick up the pieces and do a wonderful work, but there's always difficulties, and he wants the best for us. And uh, God always blesses those that agree with the Lord. So interesting passage, isn't it? Like I said, uh, it's amazing how the Word of God just covers it all, and there it is, chapter 7. But there's one final application. Can you guess what it is? Married couples, get with the program. Okay, closer and closer and closer. That's the point. More oneness, more testimony, more of the love of God, more of solving the problems, more of seeing the Lord work. Folks, in this wicked culture, our marriages ought to have a dynamic testimony to them. You say, well, I've got some problems. Well, every marriage has some problems. God's got the grace to overcome them. You can get help if you're willing to be humble. And frankly, the only problem you got in your marriage is you. And if you'll get on fire for God and be humble, you'll solve that problem. Don't look at your spouse. It's you. And so um, I encourage every uh, married couple to realize God's very definite about this. And we need to, in our spirit, be totally committed to the marriage that we are in. No matter how it started, it's God's will now. And we need to see God work.